Welcome to Breeder Syndicate. Welcome, everyone. This is Breeder Syndicate, and today we have CSI Humboldt and our co-host Not So Dog. So, I hope everyone's stoked. Uh, this is going to be a good one. So, we're going to be talking today about breeding goals. Not so, you want to take it away and run with the topic? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, the last few episodes or whatever, we've been chatting a little bit about like breeding history and various aspects of it, and we talked a little bit about terms, and we thought. Maybe it would be better to chat about something that's not talked about too often, which is like, what are your goals when you take two things and you cross them together? What are you hoping that each parent might give the children of that? And then talk a little bit about like sort of the state of where things are and what's popular and, and methods and things like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we're going to bring it. Obviously, this is the first time we've had three people on it. So it's a little different. Super stoked that uh, our buddy was willing to come on and join us because he is one of the most uh, prolific uh, breeders that I know of. So uh, he's lots of, he has lots of experience of uh, success, failures, all that type of stuff. So we're pretty excited to uh, have him on and uh, to be able to chat it up about this subject. So uh, we're just going to kind of get started. You know, well, maybe we'll talk about like, for instance, Skittles for a second. So, you know, Skittles comes out, Skittles starts winning a bunch of awards. Uh, the Skittles crew held on to Skittles pretty tight for a bit. So like at Emerald Cup and some different other events, people buying hybrids of it was literally the only way that they could get a hold of it. Right. Yeah. And so that's yeah. one of the way that's one of the things that drives breeding. And in some in some instances, something gets famous. Could be Skittles, could be cookies, could be Kush, sure. could be any number of different things. And then most people don't have access to that cut because maybe it's hoarded or maybe the circles are still pretty tight or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so um, the pricing and the desirability for people to buy seeds of that thing become pretty high. Yeah. Supply right? and demand, how it, how it always works. Yeah. It's supply and demand, basically. And so that that is driven, actually, a lot of breeding. Um, sure. because you're just, you're just offering up, you know, Hey, you can't get the cut, but you know, maybe you'll find something in Skittles by TK that you'll like, Yeah, you know, and that, that drives a lot of breeding. And so that's kind of been like one of the, the modern ways that people do things is that they're mashing together a bunch of famous cuts, you know, and maybe Caleb can jump in on this too. But, you know, when you're looking at two different things, right, if you're going to cross Skittles by this. What do you want each parent? What are you hoping that maybe each parent might give the seeds, might give the children that you are excited about? When you cr when people cross things, what are the ideas and what are the hopes behind what they're looking for to for each parent to give? Right? What are the traits they're looking or they're hopeful that the the parent might give? Um, right. You know, and so one of the things that one of the things that kind of I, I think separates a CSI from a lot of other people is that a lot of people cross things 
and never test them and they just release them to the public, right? Yeah. Um, right, right. But if you if you go back on uh, on CSI's page, you can go back years and see him running crosses of his own hybrids for a long time. And what that does is that actually gives you an idea uh, of what the parents you're using throw in their progeny. And how right? they breed like, and continually breed. How they breed, which ones are consistent yeah. breeders, which ones are a mess and are all over the place. You know, there's some things out there that it might be amazing clones um, that breed like crap. You know, they they don't they don't transfer the qualities of the mother cut into its children very much. And so breeders naturally, when they find things that work, they tend to go back to them. Right, right. I mean, most people generally want what I consider mythical plants. They yeah. want plants that are high yield, high potency, extremely flavorful, just like you were talking about. You know, they they want everything in one plant and not only one plant, but they want all the seeds to be everything. And that's not the reality of it, you know? Yeah. Like with your Skittles example, I mean, it, it, if I'm breeding with Skittles, my goal is to take the best characteristics of Skittles which would be the flavor and the smell and hopefully incorporate that into something um, with another desirable characteristic from the other parent, which would be maybe like yield or potency. You know what I yeah. mean? Mm-hmm. So what's some instance, of the other lines you've worked with that, that you, you feel are uh, special for breeding for your purposes? Say what, what? What's some of the other lines you've worked with that you feel have special traits and characteristics that maybe maybe they that breed true for it that you really enjoy that you found over the years? Oh, I mean, you, you know, I love the love the Urkels, the whole family. Yeah, um, I, I love Triangle Kush. You know, OG Kush in general. I think it's yeah. just you know yeah. a great building block. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Kemp family. Um, you know, which you know most people know. Uh, my opinion on that, I, I think it's just really Chem 91 and everything past that is a Chem hybrid or polyhybrid. Yeah, yeah you know? I agree. I, uh, you know, it's a it, it's a delicate subject, but uh-huh. I think that, uh, you know, plants don't lie. And when you've grown a lot of these Chem, chem plants for a long time and especially cross them and see what's in them, uh, it does seem that way. You know, uh, you know, one of the things that... Uh, that came from me, but I don't think anybody has used it more than, than, uh, Caleb is, um, the, the Mendo perps is probably a good example, uh, because Mm -hmm, the Mendo perps is it's fast. It's fairly fast finishing. It's got Mm -hmm. crazy colors in it. It's got very unique terps, uh, but it's pretty low potency, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, in regard. And so, you know, um, one of the, one of the, you know, one of the things that, uh, that he he released that that you know got a named cut was this Obama Kush, where he married uh, Mendo P to uh, Bubba Kush, and the Bubba added a bunch of frost, it added a bunch of structure, it added much more potency, and then the Mendo P seemed to add a lot of pretty color and gave, gave the Bubba some different unique smells. Um, yeah, that's, so that's a beautiful like line. A really, that's the really good example of like taking the strengths from one plant. And crossing it to something else where those strengths are weaknesses, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, um, you know, and then you know, there's things that there's things that interest people. So 
what I always recommend people do when they're breeding, uh, because breeding is a lot of work uh, and it's time consuming and there's a certain amount of failure involved, is if you have goals or you're passionate about certain plants you're using, then that to me, that's the coolest kind of breeding. You know, yeah. if you're like, I want to take these traits from this plant and I want to see if I can get these traits and these traits from these two plants into one plant. Yeah. Right. And, right. you know, when you're passionate about something, you know, as, as Caleb just mentioned, he just rolled through, you know, favorites and he might be able to explain at length why each one of those strains, um, you know, why, you know, there's probably a combination of traits that he likes in each one of those. And there's also probably a combination of not only those traits he likes, but they pass those traits onto the kids, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. pretty consistently. Um, you know, so I don't know. I mean, maybe you want to like, one of the things you've told me in the past, Caleb, is that of a lot of the things that you use, the Chem 91 seems to be one of the most consistent breeders for adding potency to its progeny. Right, right. And, you know, uh, on, on, on that one, I, uh, I also think that, you know, and I, I've told you both this, you know, plenty of times, I, I have a strong suspicion that I think the Chem 91 itself is an S1 from its original source in Colorado. Um, so I think that might have something to do with the, with the, you know, its propensity to pass on that strength because it's, it's kind of like a bottlenecked S1 already, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, anytime you go, you know, S1, S2, et cetera, et cetera, you know, things I think are more stable and easier to pass forward as long as they're not like a recessive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But um, it, it, it's very consistent in up in the potency on whatever you cross it to. You know, whether it's, you know, feminized or re regular seeds or whatever, you know. What are some of the traits you like about bubblegum? I know that's one you use extensively and, and uh, your advice, uh, I used it for the bubbleberry. I'm super stoked on it, how it breathes. I mean, I love the bubblegum cut because it's one of the best plants I've ever grown out outdoors. Um, uh -huh. Just mo almost mold proof, you know. Yeah. And it's extremely frosty, has a sweet, you know, bubblegum smell. Um, and it's just a nice all around plant. Now, yeah. does it, does it compare with today's, you know, hypey stuff? And eh, probably not, but you know, for, for, you know, somebody who's farming outdoors and, you know, looking for something, uh, you know, that's, you know, fairly stable and, you know, uh, mold prone, uh, or yeah. mold proof, mold proof. I mean, you know, the, those are some of my favorite characteristics of it. For sure. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the things that we should probably mention too, is that, so if you're really, if you're passionate about breeding and you're trying to combine certain traits, I mean, amongst us, you know, we might back and forth uh, a lot of different ideas and get excited about a lot of random stuff. But there's also this thing in the back of your mind in, which in order to be a successful breeder, uh, people will have to want to buy your stuff and have success with it. So mm -hmm. a lot of these practical traits, uh, like mm -hmm. he was just talking about, um, great outdoor plant, highly mold resistant, that type of thing. Those things can be really important, right? Because mm -hmm. 
you know, uh, people want, like, as Caleb was mentioning earlier, people want buy a pack of seeds and that to be the best growing, best yielding, greatest structure, crazy terps, you know, super potent. They want all the beans to be that way, uh, which is rare. But then if, even if it had that, but it molded like crazy, people would be pissed. Yeah. Yep. You know, so if, if, if you, if there's problems inherent in a line, like high mold or hermaphrodism or something else like that, you can better believe that people are going to focus on that rather than <laughs> this is the most potent, flavorful, fastest growing thing I've grown in forever. I found right. four bananas and a couple of the big of the biggest colas rotted. Now I think it's a shit cross. Um, <laughs> you know, it, it makes it difficult, you know, uh, because there's a certain amount of commercial satisfaction that's required. Right. right. And right. With oftentimes it's the environment that causes the problems. Yeah, that is you know. very true. You know, or, or, you know, I can't I can't even imagine I'm not a I'm not a public reader. Uh, but both Matt and Caleb are I, the amount of, you know, the amount of uh, responses they get of like, hey, these seeds didn't pop right or they died a few days after I cracked them or they turned out like like shit. And I blame you. Yeah, you know, sure. I mean, most of the time, sometimes sometimes it is, you know, uh, of the seed maker. But a lot of times it's bre- it's it's user error. Um, yeah, I've never I've never gotten any comments like that mine everything's always perfect <laughs> everything's always perfect <laughs> you know and, and and we don't need to we don't need to name names or anything like that because that's not the point of it but there was a, a super famous line that was released a number of years ago that was very expensive and very hyped up and the people that made it didn't even bother to do a germ test yeah uh, and a germ test for people that don't know is if you're a breeder you take 50 or 100 or 200 of your seed and you pop them a few times in paper towels or, or in dirt or whatever. And you make sure that there's nothing funky and they germinate well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there's occasionally crosses you make that don't germ well. Forget about yeah, throwing them the- out and seeing issues. And so there was, there was a line that was released that they didn't even do a germ test on. And then people bought expensive seeds. And then 70% of them didn't even pop. Mm-hmm. And it was so consistent that it wasn't really user error because when you start getting just hundreds and hundreds of complaints about the same issue, um, a germ test is something that takes, you know, less than a week to really figure out. Yeah. What do you think causes, what do you, what do you think causes the, you know, poor germination rates like that? You know, you know, the, I mean, Matt, you can speak to it if you want, you know, Uh, what's it called? The, the sperm, uh, blah, blah, blah that's in the uh in the shell might not be developed properly so it wasn't getting proper food it could be minor cracks i mean sure there's all kinds of fucking reasons but some of it would probably be what recessive genetics people are calling it out in in the comments because it was obvious what it was it was candy rain and i'm not trying to diss anyone but but (laughs) one of the things one of the things that i was going to say is that you you can inbreed in cannabis um more so than you can in other things a little bit um Mm -hmm. but when you start inbreeding too much and your and your hybrids are a mishmash of the same four or five cuts over and over and over again, you mm-hmm. will on occasion start to get undesirable recessives or undesirable traits that pop up. And one of those traits could be like some mutant funky seeds. Um, like blueberry. Yeah, I mean, or, yeah. yeah. But, you know, Caleb can talk about it too, but, you know, because he does a lot of S1s and he's even done some S2s 
But as you start going to S3, S4, S5, things start getting significantly more difficult. The plants mm-hmm. start getting way weaker. The germination rates become a lot tougher. Um, so there's a real limit there, uh, you know, in in how far you can inbreed before you start to hit problems. Um, yeah. And I haven't inbred that deep, but uh, Caleb, Caleb <laughs> has a little bit more than I have in terms of experimentation. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, there's there's issues with inbreeding. You can combine undesirable traits and have them become a little bit more dominant. You know. Even even in S2s, uh, there's a lot of plants that will not produce pollen. You know, they won't. That's they a won't move, Yeah, they won't move forward. When, when reversed, of course, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, reversals, reversals have become sort of the norm. Uh, it's flipped in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and the first decade of the 2000s. Uh, the all breeding for the most part uh, was was reg- what we call regular breeding using males and females. Um, you know, the only feminized breeding that happened was typically accidental, uh, you know, hermaphrodism or something along those lines, bag seeds, uh, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, and then the revolution happened, uh, you know, 13, 12, 13 years ago, where the technology on how to reverse cannabis became more well known. And now I would say it's flipped and the percentage of people that uses actual males is extremely low. And the vast majority of the seed game today is feminized in some way, you know? Um, And it's a really, it's a really valuable tool, but as both of uh, my co-hosts today can express, uh, you know, we were joking before we came on live is that, you know, when I use traditional males in a lot of my breeding, I never had a single breeding failure. Yeah. Um, where when you reverse things, you can have failure. You can have not very much pollen. You can have sterile pollen. You can have the pollen sacs not open. And you have to go through a lot of manual labor to extract using screens and stuff, the pollen from the pollen sacs. Um, you know, in the old days, you have one male in a room, you're guaranteed you're going to to pollinate the entire room right um in today's world uh you know caleb was just chatting about it he might use 10 or 12 uh females that are marked for reversal yeah in the hopes that a few of them are you know dump a lot and some a couple of them dump some and a few dump a little and then you've got a few failures um Mm -hmm. and so it's it's uh it's pretty difficult because it's not consistent um, you know, people have great success reversing a plant once and they do the same thing again. And for whatever reason, it doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, the, the, you know, we have a lot of theories as to why, uh, is the mix too strong or too weak? Is there a range of, of the mix that leads to, you know, pollen dumping with some strains versus others, but it's mostly like observational because we all don't have labs to really analyze why the failure went wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, it also leads to, you know, in some cases, uh, you know, people get mad at hermaphrodism, but there's some plants that don't herm and therefore they're a bitch to reverse. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, like I was telling you guys, uh, you know, just, just a couple of days ago, I had to chop down a, a whole room at four weeks flower because, you know, I reversed 
eight, you know, nice big bushes of old Betsy and none of them produced any pollen whatsoever. And the way I do things, I, I don't really have a fallback a lot of the times. And so if it fails, I just have to chop a whole room down and start over again. And that's just the price of doing business. But it, old Betsy not reversing kind of made me sad because she's one of my favorite old girls, you know? So, yeah. And you know, you know, there's some, there's some lines, uh, you know, uh, there's a mm-hmm. lot of, uh, there's a lot of people, uh, that have tried to reverse various diesel and sour cuts. Uh, mm-hmm. they're notorious for not giving you commercial viable amounts of pollen to produce a bunch Fucking of seeds. Miserable. Uh, people have had been having really great results with some of Caleb's TK crosses. Yeah. Um, but you know, Caleb can speak to this, but I think he failed two or three times before three times he had success. Yeah. Yeah. Three times. And then when he did even have success, it was probably like a fifth of the success that he would normally have on a good reversal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there's, there's a lot of that. Like there's, a, there's, there's failure, a lot of, a lot of breeding failure used to be you breed something and then the progeny, the children don't give you what you were hoping for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. in feminized breeding, there's a lot of actual failure to fertilize. Right. You, you, know, you know, that goes on. Even I, by extremely experienced people that do it all the time and for a living and have real good techniques down and have done it a bunch and had a lot of success. You, you know, I'd like to add too, though, um, that when breeding feminized, um, you tend to have a better idea of, and in general, kind of more consistent, better results with your feminized you know, progeny than like a normal, a normal breeding where, you know, you can observe certain things about a male plant. You really can't see what it's going to pass forward. Whereas with the femmes, you, you know, your girl on the left, you know, your girl on the right, you know, it it does tend to kind of give you a a little bit better of a idea of what you're going to get, you know, on that F1 hybrid, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, so like if you were to talk to breeders, say that we've been talking about, you know, in the last few podcasts in the 80s and touch on the 90s and stuff, I think most of them would tell you that the most important the most important plants they had in their rooms uh, were the consistent males. Yeah. Like Mm -hmm. once you Mm -hmm. found a consistent male back then, you tended to cross it to everything. Because yep, you were yep. so stoked. I mean, a recent example would be, you know, uh, Matt found a really good blue bonnet. Man. Yeah. And he was really happy with it. And he was really happy with the with the traits that it passed on to the progeny. Um, and because males are so much harder to find ones that pass the traits you want, mm-hmm. they tend to get used over and over again. It's um, really hard to move on sometimes. It gets really hard to move on. And so, you know, you have, you can look at some of these old seed banks, like, you know, Neville's stuff or some stuff in the nineties. And, you know, they have a, they have a handful of males, um, really a handful. And they use those handful of males with everything. Right. Yeah. Right. Because, mm-hmm. it, you know, failure, you know, failure and means that like you get something that the customer doesn't want. And that just ends up being a big Ziploc in your fridge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you know, or you, yeah. you, you test something out and you feel like it's got too many herms and it might affect your reputation, even though you think it's good weed and you don't want to deal with all the complaints out there. And it ends up being a big Ziploc in your fridge. You know, right. maybe it'll be a project you want to use later. Maybe it won't. And so, you know, uh, one of the big aspects of this that we want to chat about is that, you know, the, the term breeder is used loosely. Uh, and this isn't to diss anyone, but it encompasses basically anybody that wants to cross and make seeds. And, you know, there's some people, um, you know, there's not very many of them, uh, but both uh, Caleb and Matt are two of them that they are actually they actually do what I consider to be traditional breeding in the sense that they take plants that they found from previous breedings and they use them in further work. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a, you know, and, and everybody listening right now, you can have the power to affect breeding, right? Because the breeding game right now is crossing a lot of hybrids together and releasing them to the public with absolutely no work. So a lot of breeders are crossing famous things to, to each other. They're giving them a sexy name and some good packaging and they're releasing them and they're not actually popping them themselves. Okay. And they're not doing any further work, which is fine. But then what happens is, is that when you take somebody like, like, you know, Caleb, who runs a bunch of his own work, he gets to see what varieties in my collection breed well and which ones don't, which mm -hmm. ones throw traits that I like and which ones are all over the place and crazy. And that knowledge informs the next steps you want to make. Mm -hmm, a lot mm -hmm. you know oh, yeah. so for instance um you know uh caleb has a a plant uh they call t1000 right uh which is uh you know it's it's a named cut from uh from one of his lines i believe it's urkel and tk correct yep triangle kush times purple urkel <laughs> triangle kush times purple urkel and he mm -hmm. found you know it was found in in hunts of that line and, mm -hmm. you know, I, I saw on his Instagram and he's told me and stuff, you know, he's reversed that he's taken that cut and he's used it in further work. Yeah, that was one of my, that was my, one of my buddy Tiger farm selection, uh, from, you know, up there in Portland. Sure. Yeah. From my work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's stuff you find in your own work. Sometimes it's stuff your buddies find in your work. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, he, Caleb liked that one enough that he's now doing further work uh -huh. within his uh -huh. own lines. And so the most effective and the cheapest and the most profitable way to grow seeds right now, sadly, is to make the cross, give it a name, give it some cool packaging and sell it and never do any further work yourself. Uh -huh. uh, that, that's a pretty profitable path. The other path, which is you test and you grow rooms full of your own stuff, and you try to look for traits amongst that stuff that you want to keep working with. Um, that's a lot more sustainable breeding uh, because it gives you the ability to, you know, uh, do multi-stage breeding, which is real what real breeding is really. Um, but it's time-consuming and it's costly and it takes a Very while. Expensive. And you Especially have to have done a goal. indoor. Yeah, and you have to have a goal in mind, right? You know, um, and in that regard, and so. You know, I don't know if he's, I don't know, if, I don't know if you're, are, are you selling, you're probably selling the T1000 hybrids now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. You made them a yeah. while ago. You know? yeah. yeah. And so, 
you know, he's got, you know, how many breeders out there are doing two or three or four step processes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, not a lot. Yeah, not you know, a ton. But that's I mean, real breeding. You look at dog breeders or you look at fish breeders or you look at corn or anything else. And, you know, <clears throat> the idea that you just make hybrids and sell them and never mm-hmm. try to like advance in any way is right. not normal in breeding. Most breeding has goals. Yeah, some of my favorite projects, you know, that I'm working on now um, are the S2 projects where, you know, I've, you know, grown out 100 plus, you know, plants of, you know, my S1s and made selections from those. And now I'm doing S2s. Um, I'm doing back crosses to the moms. I'm making hybrids between, you know, S2s of the various, you know, um, you know, S1s, like, you know, taking the Urkel S1, cross it to the, you know, Triangle Kush or Chemdog S1, and, you know, kind of making new versions of those same hybrids that I did with the original parent cuts. But, you know, they're going to be unique and hopefully a lot more, you know, stable and uniform, you know, ver- versus the previous generation. But yeah. There's a lot of work, you know, going into all that. Yeah, no shit. And so we could, you know, maybe one thing we could talk about, and these are, these are also observations from Caleb, but he's ran out a bunch of, um, you know, uh, chem 91 S ones. And, mm-hmm. you know, we all think that it, it already is an S one. And what leads us to think that is the lack of ver- of variability in the line, right? Mm-hmm. It, it passes potency. It passes looks that look very similar to it or there's a small range in there. And so you kind of, you kind of get what you get with that. Right. But then he's mm-hmm. also done a thing and I, I got to go up and see it where he's reversed, you know, Mendo P and he's grown out a bunch of Mendo P S ones. And, uh, that has so much diversity in it that, you know, he's made comments to me in the past where you could give out seeds S ones of Mendo perps to various different people and they could make their own selections and the lines would be extremely different from one another yeah, because cool. there's, there's so much variation in there. Um, yep. you know, you know, and then maybe we should make a comment about S ones because there's so many clone only elites and there's not, um, there's not lines available of many of these things anymore. Uh, most of the stuff that we hold, uh, in our collections, you only have one cutting of that line. You don't have any sisters of it and you don't have any boys of it. You don't have any way to look within the line. And so one of the benefits um, of doing S ones with that kind of thing is it's really the only way to look within the genetic without another genetics, you know, genes coming in there and altering. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so that's why we didn't know how narrow the chem 91's gene pool was until he S one it and grew out a few hundred of them. And we saw yeah. that it was narrow. You don't know mm-hmm. how wide Mendo purple was until you did that and grew out a bunch of them. And you were like, Oh my God, there's a ton right. of different stuff in here. Yeah. And so S ones, S ones give people selfing gives people an ability to look through a line when they only have one example, one female example of the line itself. Right, um, yeah. And so it's one of the ways that modern breeders get to save and preserve old lines, like uh, a lot of famous stuff that Caleb has run recently, like Mendo Purple or uh, Snow 
or mm-hmm. Trinity or Chem 91 or, you know, Urkel, or you go down the list. And if you don't S1 it, it's really hard to see what's in it by itself. You can outcross it to other things and you can see what traits that are dominant that pass to the children and outcrosses. But if you really want to look within a line, um, mm-hmm. most seed lines today, you know, most clone onlys are that they're clone only. That's yeah. all you get. So, and a, so a lot of SD, these cuts, well, sorry to interrupt. A lot of these no, cuts for it. You know, selfing, you know, they're, they're all cuts that are, you know, as you well know, you know, Mendo purposes over, you know, you sprouted that seed over 20 years ago. You know, and a lot of these cuts are 30, 40 years old. So if we don't, you know, stash away some S1 seed in that fridge, you know, before it's too late, before those cuts, you know, disappear, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll lose those genetics. On that tangent, are you going to do redo the, the, the old bets here? Are we going to make another attempt at it? I want to see real old bull rider stock pulled out of those S1s. <laughs> my, my, my problem is, is I don't. I have I only have rooms that are three, four, and six, so yeah. you know um, it's hard doing some of these. I, I I wish I had like some single light rooms to do these things, right? Yeah, you know, because then it wouldn't be so much of an expense to, you know, yeah, yeah, fail every time. Every time it fails, yeah, for sure. And yeah. that might be that might be something good to talk about. Is that it's pretty mm-hmm. amazing how much cool stuff we have to work with these days, considering Mm -hmm. like most, most normal breeders from other walks of life would laugh at Mm -hmm. the limited selection pool we pull from Uh, how many plants, how many plants we get to run to make the next generation selections, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, prohibition and things like that have made a lot of breeding happen, especially in America inside. So Mm -hmm. Inside means you have electricity, you have a lot of lights, you have it costs money, time, all this different stuff. And so mm-hmm. most breeders have a million ideas in their head, mm-hmm. uh, the ones that are passionate about it. And their ability to realize those ideas is quite limited. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, you, you might have a fridge full of, of ideas <laughs> and passion projects and whatever. But right. you know, most breeders, you know, you have to sell enough stuff while you're doing your passion to fund the passion part. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. So for instance, you know, when I was doing a lot of breeding in the late nineties and early two thousands, it was a terrible financial decision uh, because I wasn't selling any seed. I was just giving it away to friends and it was just for my personal. And mm-hmm. back then cannabis was super expensive. Well, right? at least other people made money off your shit. Yeah. Well, but whatever, but that's fine. But it's just yeah. a matter of, it's just a matter of like most people back then weren't willing to take a four lighter when you could get, you know, when weed was 4,500 a pound or something. Yeah. And instead of getting right. six or eight pounds of sellable cannabis out of that four lighter to get thousands of seeds that you, you know, uh, you know, didn't even have an outlet for, um, yeah. you know, and that's another thing that we should talk about too, for a second is the fact that most seed breeding in America <clears throat> did not have an American outlet to be able to get it to the public. Uh-uh. Right. So there was a lot of private breeding going on and there was a lot of like, you know, there was some passion going on and different things like that, but the public's asset access to it was tiny. Yeah. And right. the nineties and the, and the early two thousands, which is when I did most of my stuff, I don't think there was American small American seed companies that were getting it out. 
You um, would you would have to make them here, send them over to Europe, and then they would have to send them back to here. Yeah, yeah that's how so, it worked, right? So there was that's companies like there was companies. That's why like certain Americans partnered with Europeans. Dude, uh, worst decisions I ever made in my life over there. You know, lots of American breeders think that way. You know, uh, I mean, for instance, in the nineties. Um, you know, uh, the blueberry stuff, DJ short, you know, he partnered with SAG Martha first and then Dutch passion. Uh, and it doesn't sound like he was very pleased with either one of those things, but, um, you know, it, uh, it at least allowed, if you didn't partner with somebody in Europe, nobody had access to your stuff. The forums okay. changed it a little bit because it at least allowed private DMS and some, and some low level trading and stuff. But even like, yeah, even Matt back in the day, I mean, you know, you, you would have a, a web address that had the Netherlands. You know, I, I'll comment on that real quick. Back in the day, I get this question all the time. The only reason that I have a .nl address, it wasn't because I was going to get more traffic because of it. Obviously, nobody types anything .nl if you live in the U.S. But back then, it was just a just one more step to keep people from looking at me in the U.S. And, and nowadays, it's, it's irrelevant. So it's funny when people still, Americans use .nl because they think it's some kind of special thing. But but really, you know, the the IG era and, you know, the forum, the forums a little bit and then Instagram and then loosening laws and stuff. It allowed a lot of very small time private breeders to be able to uh, to get out there, you know, yeah. um, and there was some people back in the day, 20 years ago, uh, when, you know, when Caleb and Shaw and some others and I first met um, at some harvest parties and such. You know, the people that were internet famous back then were like Vic High and uh, DJ Short and, you know, the, uh, the you know, the Brothers Grimm and the C99 work. Um, and they, well, they got famous because there was, yeah. there was such a, there was such a limited pool, mm-hmm. right? It was like, it, you know, there was some, there was a few Canadians, um, there was a few Americans, it got famous on the forums, but there wasn't, now it's like anybody can you know, can breed seeds in their closet or a bedroom or something, and they can have an IG handle and they can get their work out there and they can spread their work to friends and they can sow test grows and people can see pictures. And so now it's become, it's become a lot more common, but 20 years ago, um, you know, uh, the vast majority of breeders I knew in Mendo and Humboldt and stuff were private. You had, if, unless you've met them, you had no way of getting access to any of it, like zero. You know, if you were in North Carolina or Illinois or Colorado or something like that, like you weren't going to meet the people in the triangle or the people in Santa Cruz or the people wherever. Um, and so, I, you know, the combination of reversals and the combination of, you know, Instagram and some other forms of communication really exploded the small seed breeder. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In a way that it never happened before. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know that, you know, people would even know who CSI or Riot would be without those two innovations. They still right. don't know who Riot is, but it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we're, we're about, let's see, for uh, uh, 50 minutes in. So if we want to start doing some questions that are, uh, uh, you know, if you want to start answering any, Caleb, we could do that. Or if you want to talk any more on the breeding topic, we could do that. I'm okay with whatever. All right. Well, I can tell you, dude, that uh, uh, questions for you predominate the questions this week. So I'll try they to do every week. 
Um, well, to be honest, <laughs> they, yeah, even even the weeks that you're not here, uh, there's a bunch <laughs> of stuff that people want to for us to ask because they know you. Yeah. Uh, so maybe uh, you know, let's see, let's talk about. Um, here's a, here's a basic one. What was your very first cut? And what 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 is one of the cuts that you could say you hold closest to your heart amongst your current collection? Well, my very first cut um, was a uh, Northern Lights from my dad, and uh, he he gave he gave me that cut in in uh, in '94, mm-hmm. um, and I had that one all the way up until I think 2002, and then stupidly lost it. Um, oh. But uh, the 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 closest thing to that anymore is like chem number chem dog number four, you know. Yeah, that, that stuff is very similar to the old Norn lights I got from my dad. Um, as far as favorites go, I I always talk about it, you know, just just in case anybody has ever come across it. But you know, my dad also gave me a, around the same era this Uriah cut, and I mean that one is still one of my favorites, and I. Th- think it might be possible to recreate something like it with like say a pine tar kush a bit of og kush and maybe something super super just piney lemony blah 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 even more so than og yeah um i don't know but uh as far as what i have uh still i mean i love uh you know the purple indica that you know my my good buddy Fletch, you know, got in the early two thousands, and I'm pretty sure that cut dates back to the eighties. Um, yeah, you know, up there, up there in Portland and Washington, and all that. Um, but that one's that one's extremely unique. But then again, uh, you know, you already know I'm a fan of the purple, so I absolutely you know love Mendo purple. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, you know uh. You know, I'm, I've I've had Urkel for damn near twenty years now, and you know, she, she she's she's a tried and true favorite. So if if I lost any of those three, I, I'd be a little bit upset. Yeah, I'll take mm-hmm. the next one because it's super simple. Uh, <laughs> can you please confirm the timeline for Super Skunk? Uh, I can. It's real. That one's really easy. Um, it was released by Neville in the final year that he owned the seed bank outright. Uh, so super skunk was released to the public in the 1990, the seed bank catalog. Uh, he took a maple leaf indica, uh, which is supposedly called, uh, Afghan tea. And he crossed that to one of, uh, Sam skunk man's skunk lines. And he said that put the funk back in the skunk. Um, <laughs> and it became a, it had a, it had a great name. It had a great look. Uh, became super popular in the 90s. Um, so Super Skunk was, uh, when people talk about, oh, I had, you know, mid-80s Super Skunk or whatever, I'm not saying that there wasn't skunk aromas out there. But the actual Super Skunk name came about in the 1990 uh, uh, Seed Bank catalog. Uh, this one is for Caleb. It's a pretty good question. Uh do you feel that males have a place in modern cannabis breeding or are reversals the future and why? Oh, I absolutely do. Um, I'm, I've never been one of those types to rule out anything. So I think there's a place for feminized seeds and, 
you know, feminized breeding. And I think there's just a value as valuable a place for regular breeding. Um, so ab- absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I, I started out doing just as much regular work as feminized work. I just didn't really capitalize on selling, you know, much of the regular work because it kind of just took an aside because you got to select out all those damn males. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the, the next question, I'm actually not going to have Caleb answer. I'm just going to make a joke about it. And it's, it's nothing <laughs> against the, it's a great question, but could Caleb please talk about interesting things he learned from any or every line he selfed? So you're going to have to wait for Caleb's 10, 10 volume, uh, op- <laughs> magnum opus on yeah. every line he selfed because, uh, he's constantly, uh, selfing things over the last 10 years or so. And that's such a, that's a, that's, uh, we could just talk for hours. Um, there's just dozens of cuts that he's done that to at this point. So it's a little too wide. It is a good question, but boy, it really is a novel. Um, I will say, I will say I take, uh, pictures, um, and you know, they help with mental notes on more or less every single S one I grow. So I'm, I think I'm headed up to about 2 million pictures strong. As far as you know, the the S one S one pictures are going. I'll ask this got, one again because it, it got a lot of votes. Are mm-hmm. you going to try or continue to try to reverse the Irene Kush? Mm. I don't know. I mean, yeah. when you get when you get twenty S one seeds from half a half of a light, yeah, uh, that's a little rough, and. And also, I don't know if people know, but um, the the Irene, you know, for half, half a thousand watt light, produced twenty seeds. But the 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 triangle Kush uh, that got the side pollination from that in the bed next to it produced like seven hundred and fifty seeds. So the pollen was viable; it just didn't pollinate itself. You know? Very interesting. Yeah. So, and that's an interesting statement too, in that. Um, even when people get viable pollen, uh, there's some cuts out, there's some cuts out there. The Mac would be one. Um, there's mm-hmm. some others that Matt could talk about that you have viable pollen and it pollinates everything around it just fine. And it doesn't pollinate that female plant very well at all. There's yeah. some plants that have very few pistols on them and the pistols don't seem to be doing a very good job of transferring that, that pollen grain to um, where it needs to go to fertilize the egg and create a seed. Um, mm-hmm. So there's some interesting stuff in that. Uh, this is another really good question for Caleb, and I think uh, it's pretty valuable. I'm interested to hear Inspecta speak on growing large populations in relatively small spaces. Hmm. I mean, ideally, I like to do... No more than 36 plants per light when I'm growing large populations of like feminized seeds out. And, you know, I'll, I'll do that in a, a four to six K room. So, you know, I'm, I'm doing a hundred to 200 plants generally. Um, it just, it just gives you a better, better idea of, you know, what's in that genetic pool. Um, I have done like single light, you know, rooms where I pack in like 80 plants you know, under the one light and I flower them out, you know, at, you know, four or six inches tall, whatever. And, uh, I mean, you know, 
for for anybody limited on space i mean that's an excellent way to go i mean especially if you're doing them in like small six inch pots where you know you can make selections out of that larger pool you know and uh then you can pull them out and you know um you know re-veg them and you know actually have you know have fairly heavily selected stock to work with so you know, you don't have to grow your plants out in a five-gallon pot or ten-gallon pot or whatever. You don't have to grow them big to know what you want. You know, yeah. I mean, if you're looking for potency, uh, smell, flavor, um, you know, any of the the really main criteria, you don't need just big plants. I mean, if yeah. Selecting for structure or hemp, maybe you need a little more room, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll add to that. I'll add to that as well. Uh, Caleb has a little bit different style than I do in, the, in that he grows uh, small seed plants like that, fairly tightly packed together. And just so people know, when he's talking about doing 36 plants of light, um, that generally it's it's on like a, a, a sl- you know, one of those uh, old tables, like a, a four and a half by four and a half kind of area. Uh, mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it's kind of a six, it's kind of a, a six wide, you know, six deep type of scenario there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're, I used to do it slightly differently than that. Um, I would, I would grow out a bunch of seed. I would take cuttings from that seed. Uh, as soon as multiple cuttings had rooted, I would ditch the seed itself because I found when you were growing regular stuff, the seed energy, I didn't want to know what it did as a seed. I wanted to know what it did as a clone because sometimes that can be different. And I wanted to see its growth structure as a clone. Um, and what he mentioned is, is that when you grow up things too big and you flower them and all of a sudden you get 10 or 12 pounds or something and you have a lot of boof <laughs> yeah. uh, or, a, or average, not every, not everything is, is a, is a home run, you know, even amongst yeah. lines that, that produce great plants, there's still a lot of, eh, you know, and so then you end up with a lot of, eh. so what I would do is somewhat similar to him in that I would throw away the seed plant and then I would pack tables with you know four to six inch tall cuts and i would flower the cut because as caleb just mentioned if i got a half ounce or three quarters of an ounce or an ounce off a plant and i got to see what the cola looked like there that's all i needed you know yeah (laughs) you know and and you, you you would get enough of the terps you'd get enough of the smell you could you know if you have a quarter seven to ten grams to smoke that'll give you enough indication that you need to, um, that you can go back and grow some of those selections uh, in a in a larger in a larger scenario. Grow more of them, grow them bigger. See their, <laughs> see their, um, because that way, if you get a bunch of bunk, it's only five to fourteen grams of bunk per per yeah. plant, you know. And you get enough, and that's what you need to start doing in order to really run through numbers uh, mm-hmm. in in that regard, and and have it only take up so much space. The other issue that happens, and you know, I have a different method than Caleb, but it's a universal problem, is when you start growing out large numbers to test and you don't want to lose something, you end up needing to keep backups of the things you're flowering so you don't lose them. Yeah. Right? Yep. There's basically two methods. You can either keep backups, which is time consuming and takes up a bunch of space in your veg, or you can start pulling if you grow in pots you could start pulling out small pots of things that you think are amazing when they're only part of the way through flowering 
and then revert. That's kind of a European method and kind of, and start reverting them back to veg. Um, you know, uh, but you know, it's, it's a real issue. Um, because you know, it's happened to Caleb talks to me about it all the time is that, you know, uh, you know, I grew a room of 240 plants and my two, uh, my three favorites, two of the cuttings didn't make it by the time I realized it was my favorite. Yeah. You know? And so trying to save copies mm-hmm. that you can go back and actually deal with and the space involved is a real pain in the ass for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, it takes right. up, you know, you want to do a big hunt and you want to keep that thing around. That means you got a big veg. You Here's know? a and good maybe, question. Maybe, and I fully, but huh. I, I was just going to say, I fully agree with not so on uh, taking cuts off of the seed plants and growing the, the cut, the cuttings versus the seed plants because seed plants will never give you an accurate representation of what that clone is going to become past the seed stage. So there's really, I fully agree. There's no reason to grow the seed plants themselves when you're just selecting for future, you know, you know, clone stock. That's that's going to give you the best. Yeah. Yeah. Clones don't have a tap root. You grow a bunch of seeds. They can be taller. They can be lankier. They can have some more life energy in different ways in them Mm -hmm. than the clone. And since you only get one shot at the seed, that's why a lot of people like back in the day, would want to grow seed outdoor because the vigor mm-hmm. contained within a seed plant would give you, could give you a larger plant, uh, a, right. a bigger plant than a clone. Um, there's some mm-hmm. famous clones. Uh, my Maui cut does it. The blue dream does it. Uh, green crack does it. There's some famous clones that despite being clones will give you huge plants outside. Yeah. But nice. if you went back to the two fifteen era five or six years ago, a lot of the big giant gardens you would see on Instagram uh, in terms of outdoor were all seed, right? Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. you got right. an eight or nine foot tall room with, you know, thousand watt lights or something. And all of a sudden you got some seed energy and the thing wants to be seven feet tall and you're doing <laughs> bending and, and trellising and, and corralling right. of the plant. And it's a huge pain in the ass, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's the, you know, Caleb actually has had a pretty good method of taking clones off of plants when they're a couple weeks into bloom, Mm -hmm. um, which a lot of people wouldn't do. um, But in that regard, it, it, the plants kind of freak out for a while because they're into flower, but that's actually a benefit because one of the things you're trying to do when you're keeping clones in a different room for veg is you want to keep them kind of small until you figure out which ones are worth it. Yeah, because you might have 180 clones, and like you only care about six of them, right? Yeah, but you don't know which you don't know which six. So the end. And when they're when they're in flower, it takes uh you know a good month, maybe even six weeks or so, before they start vegging out of it. So you buy yourself some time keeping them in those flats. I, yep. We actually just took uh, uh 12 flats of clones this week of uh, TK ABC F3s. So. Yippee skippy to that. Fuck yeah. The other thing I should mention, just because mm-hmm. Caleb's told me about it a bunch, is that mm-hmm. when you start judging plants on growth and structure and weight and frost and all that, those are good things to judge on. But a lot of the times, uh, he finds out his favorites end up being some shitty ass runt uh, <laughs> that wasn't very impressive, didn't look very good. He wasn't very happy with it never thought much of it and then you know him and his crew end up testing it 
which is actually the the, the part that matters at the end. And they're like, mm-hmm. oh man, this is special. But you never would have thought it was special growing because it just looked like a it just looked like a run. It looked like it was odd. It had funkiness to it. It didn't have the greatest bud structure. And then of course that's going to be like the tastiest one with the best high. And I'm you know? a huge fan of runs. The yeah, strain. I mean, in, in general, you know, I would say too that we could mention this because because you know he laughed about it, but really. If you look at like Caleb's work with Freak Show, or you look at the ABC, or you look at uh, you know runs and things like that, like what he's really talking about is like he's a huge fan of outliers. He's mm-hmm. a huge fan of things that are abnormal, things that pop up in a population that might be rare, things that you know uh, might not be that common, but then it popped up and you're like, oh, look at that little thing. You know what yeah. direction could I take that? And strangely. You know, we should mention this too, is that, so I'll, I'll, I'll stretch it out a little bit, but if you go into the store, any vegetable you buy in the store, whether it's a tomato or a zucchini or whatever else, that thing has been picked to grow because it yields well. Like for instance, let's take a tomato, right? The most important thing for a tomato for tomato growers is weight, color. Does the skin break? Does it rot in transit? You know, all these can you stack factors. it in transit? Can you stack yeah. it in transit? Does it bruise easily? All mm-hmm. these factors are huge. <clears throat> Taste and flavor and texture are way down on the list, right? Yeah. So the whole reason why heirloom tomatoes made a comeback is because these things actually taste good. Where yeah. when people were growing things for production, okay, um, zucchini, anything, you name it, they're grown because the producer it it grows well for them, right? It mm-hmm. produces a lot for the space. Cannabis is pretty unique in that the stuff that becomes really popular became really popular because consumers enjoyed it. No mm-hmm. one would ever in a million years pick any kind of OG Kush as a production <laughs> plant. Viney, small buds, doesn't hold itself up, a pain in the ass to grow, a weak root system, all those things would prevent you from ever seeing it yeah. in mm-hmm. most normal agriculture because they would eliminate it because it didn't have the qualities needed to be put to scale, right? People would want every, you'd get blue dream, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's a fast growing, vigorous thing that yields a ton, doesn't take that long. And so cannabis is a bit unique in that even like something like sour diesel, uh, sour diesel is kind of tricky to grow well. A lot of people find it finicky. If you have too many bud sites on sour diesel, it'll give you a lot of feathery, almost wheat, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's a lot that goes on with that. So there's a lot of very famous strains that have really, really crappy production traits, right? The puff. You know, all kinds of things, you know? Um, You know, and so, you know, so there's the, you know, Matt way earlier in the thing was talking about root structure, which is not a very bred for trait. Um, there's certain plants that you grow in the same room that some plants drink like crazy. And I'll use OG Kush as an example. A lot of OG Kushes have typically weak root systems. They don't grow vigorous root systems. So as a result, they can only drink so fast. So as a result, they only grow so fast. So you know, that's a consideration too, is that cannabis has been, I mean, I'll tell you guys a, a funny story really quick. When Skittles first came out, uh, 
Skittles is notorious for growing slow, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Caleb and I had had a mutual friend that made an IG post where he was like, you know, in, in October, he's like, I'm vegging these Skittles for my next year's light depth. Hopefully they'll be three, <laughs> hopefully they'll be three feet tall in six months, right? <laughs> where Skittles might be like winning awards for its terps and winning awards for its extracts and everything else, but try to get the thing higher than four feet tall outside. Yeah. It's a slow growing, bushy little hedge of a plant. And Mm -hmm. so my point to that is that most of the famous strains that people like either for their turf profile or their high wouldn't make the cut in normal agriculture because they don't have the growth traits. Yeah. And it's really, really difficult because that's what I was, that's what made me think of it when I was joking about Caleb's love for runts is that (laughs) a lot of times the, the freak, the mutant, the one that grew short, the one that was a pain in the ass to grow. That one's the one that tastes amazing. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. the one that will get people excited, right? Mm-hmm. And the one yep. that was like five feet tall and threw huge colas all over it and grew like a champ and barely required any work, that one ends up being a little bit more boring. Right. And you're and like, man, you know, I wish I could merge those two. So I maybe you the, can talk about that for a minute, Caleb. I, I swear the biggest, biggest girls, at least biggest feminized girls I grow, they always seem to have a little persuasion to hang in the balls <laughs> i don't know if you noticed that but the big girls yeah women say that about me all the time <laughs> i got a question um, for both of you that that okay. i'll follow up with on after after i ask you guys so mm-hmm. hayes brothers and me and caleb actually talked about this yesterday and i think me and me and not talked about it a few days ago uh, i know crybaby was a part of that Hayes Brothers Vintage California Kush, 1980s picture in high times. In the 79 issue, they talk of a new hybrid known as CUSH Kush uh, in NorCal, a cross between Hawaiian hash plant and Thai, specifically calling it Kush by 79 they already knew of Hindu. So what the fuck is this Cali Kush? Is it pure Kush? The picture does look like the Malibu. In the article, they straight up say Afghani skunkweed. It's been driving me crazy for 10 years. Caleb, anything? I don't know. Well, (laughs) I can make a couple general comments. Mm -hmm. So Kush is uh, a general term, right? Um, There's a huge mountain range. It's the second tallest mountain range in the world next to the Himalayas. Um, And it runs through Afghanistan and Pakistan down to the ocean. And it's called the Hindu Kush. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we talked in a previous podcast about how names are relatively new. And back in the day, people talked about, people named things uh, per their region of origin, right? Mm-hmm. Oaxacan, Michoacan, Panamanian, Hawaiian, you know, various various aspects like that. They rarely had names that weren't regional. So Kush could literally be anything collected from the Hindu Kush mountains. Yeah. And the Hindu Kush mountains could be as low as one or 2,000 feet above sea level and as high as five, six, seven, eight thousand 8,000 uh, above sea level in some of these big valleys. So, yeah. you know, and then secondly to that, and what people, what he's probably really asking is that there are, there are a few plants um, that popped up and became famous. Uh, everybody mostly knows the story, but if they don't, um, there's a there's a Bubba Kush line um, and there's a Kush line 
that has various origin stories, but um, is most likely a mix of Northern Californian and European genetics that popped up in Florida, came to LA, became a craze. People got extreme amounts of money for it, and then it became very popular. And so what most people today know as Kush, you could classify as TK or Ghost or that's what most people know because that's what became popular. That's what's been traded on forums and traded on IG and everybody else and bought in clubs. And so that's what most people today know, know of as Kush. Uh, but that's a lot narrower of a gene pool than shit that came from the Hindu Kush. Yeah. Well, right. So you go all the way back to Hindu, you go back all the way back to 1979 and you have, Matt and I might do a short about this soon about the hippie hashish trail, but you have some, you have some euros or you have some Americans come back from India, Nepal, Kashmir, um, you know, uh, Pakistan or Afghanistan, and they bring seeds back to their buddy and they're from Kush. So, um, what, what date was, was that article from again? 79 79 issue they talked of a new hybrid known as kush okay well you know remember i was telling you how um they they were hating on humble back yeah. back back in the 70s i think it was i think it was and probably that same issue they they were all bitter you know that humble's all popular because of their indicas or their kushes right yeah and you know they they were upset that their hazes you know were getting downplayed well, you know, like we've talked plenty of times back in 78, you know, that was mm-hmm. that was roughly the year that pretty much it seems like everybody around Humble, you know, um, Trinity, all of that, had, you know, were growing uh, Purple Kush. There was a huge influx, you know, of, of Purple Kush seed, you know, and obviously just like um, not so was talking about that's that's just Hindu Kush seed. And the yeah. purple, of course, the the purple pheno, of, yeah. of, or purple genotype of that. So yeah. I'm I'm almost wondering if they didn't just get a hold of some of uh, some of that seed and incorporate it into their hazes to kind of you know up, up their market value. Yeah, it is very possible. <clears throat> and one mm-hmm. thing I could add to that is that mm-hmm. in modern breeding today, um, mm-hmm. that same thing holds true, which is a cut becomes famous mm-hmm. and everybody breeds that cut into everything. Right. 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 So in the last 15 years, um, the amount of people that have used cherry pie, girl scout cookies, five or eight different Kush cuts, Gittles, mm-hmm. you sow, you name it. If it became famous and desirable, people would blend it into everything. And so mm-hmm. one of the things, you know, you, you see people out there, that are like pumping up their various hybrids. And, you know, some of the stuff you see Caleb do that people might be like, oh, well, why the hell is he working with ABC? That looks weird. Oh, that's <laughs> funky. Freak show is fucked up too. Why the fuck are you messing around with that? I don't get it. Some of it is like, honestly, with the amount of work that's been done with cherry pie and cookies and kush, what new and exciting do you think is going to pop out of that that someone hasn't already done in the last 10 years? Yeah, And mm-hmm. if you take two hybrids that are mostly a mishmash of those things all smashed up together, I'm not dissing crossing Cushments with this, but what are you going to find? 
that's not something that's already somewhat similar to a lot that's out there. It's very so, hard to find novel and new in OG. So, yeah. so people people have been ever ever since the name game came around and ever since popularity came around, like Caleb was just mentioning, people might be crossing these Afghans to their hazes to increase its popularity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people have been doing that for the last forever, but it's increased dramatically in the last 20 years where it's mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, there was, uh, I mean, this is a funny example, but there's no Kush in Blackberry Kush, right? In the sense that Kush, for the most part, like the reason why people added Kush to Blackberry Kush was because people wanted to buy Kush. You know, yeah. Sour gets added to a lot of names or Diesel gets added to a lot of names or names get changed because there's a desire to sell certain things. And then the desire to feed that market either makes a lot of breeding happen around a few select cuts and you're trying to get a hybrid that you can call, you know, um, there's a famous, there's a, there's a good cut up here called Doxo G. And I would say that it's, it's not the greatest cut. It doesn't have very much, uh, OG flavor. It doesn't have very much in the way of, uh, you know, the, the, the high that I like, but it looks like a traditional Kush. Um, and it yields like crazy. And so then people are going to grow it because it produces well and they can call it Kush. Oh, I'm looking for Kush. Oh, well, I have a ton of Kush here. Buy this Doc's Kush. Right. And that Wasn't happens. Wasn't that for rare maintenance? Yeah. I think, yeah. And so, I, yeah. you know, and I'm not even trying to diss them or anything like that. That's not the point. The point oh, is, no, no, is no. that, is that, you know, uh, these names get added onto things because right. as long as it's desirable and easy to buy, for instance, um, you know, uh, Caleb has got, become pretty famous with his Urkel crosses. In 04, 05, 06, 07, I would say that, you know, eventually there was probably literally thousands of growers in Mendo and Humble that had mm-hmm. lavender, Urkel, grape, ape, uh, you know, you name it, half a dozen of these different cuts to meet the purple craze. And then as the purple craze phased into the sour craze and the kush craze and the cookie craze and the Skittles craze, it ends up like there's like six dudes that held on to the the Urkel. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But 15 years ago, how many people did you know in Humboldt that had some kind of Urkel? Right. A lot. Everybody. Because it was everybody because it was popular and a lot of buyers wanted it, which means lots of people that produced had it. And as right. soon as the market shifted, so mm-hmm. did the holding of the cut. And, and before so, that, before that, it was Salmon Creek, Big Bud, and Trainwreck, and Snow, and stuff like that. Yeah, sure. And mm-hmm. so that's the thing, right? Is that what happens is, and this is sort of the thing, is that when things are popular, everybody has it, and everybody wants it, and people want it from their friend. And as soon mm-hmm. as it becomes unpopular, the percentage of people that are willing to hold on to old cuts when there's no financial value to it becomes right. tiny. Mm-hmm. Right. And, yep. you know, uh, then you have a bunch of people, you know, now we have a bunch of stuff going on in the community where most people, there's legendary strains that very few people to, relative to today have actually seen or smoked. And so fakes pro- proliferate. Um, mm-hmm. because they get passed around and maybe the person passing it around doesn't even realize it's a fake mm-hmm. because he never had it in 1998. So he doesn't know. Right. You know? And so he's passing it around. He's like, Oh, I think I have real snow. I'm going to trade you this, but he doesn't have hey, real snow. 
I thought that was you know, real snow. I thought that was <laughs> real snow. It was given to me by my buddy who's had it for forever and he swears it's real snow. And then you talk to somebody like me or Caleb or whoever who actually grew snow back then or, you know, someone who or Caleb, who's held it for a long time and they're like, I'm sorry, but that's not it. Yeah. You that know? was a, Snow was a bad example. I've never seen a fake cut of snow. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, yeah, it might, it might have been a bad example, but like. Maybe maybe the Trinity would be a better example or something. That, like that is an excellent know? example. Yeah, <laughs> that might be an act because people would get mad at me because they would give right. me their Trinity and they'd be like, "Oh man, I gave up the farm for this cut." Right, and then I'd smoke it and I'd be like, "It's not even a hybrid of it. It's it's not it." Like, yeah. what do you mean? I I like I you don't know what I did to get it, and I'm like, dude, I'm sorry. It's it's not it. You know, and right. and so there's some, there's some cuts where it's like, I mean, one of the things I have no idea what sour cut I hold. Um, but if I lost it, I've collected six or seven or eight different sour cuts in the last four or five years. And none of them are the, are the cut that I have. Yeah. Which means that like, if I lost it, me trying to find it again would be, would be, would be shitty. It'd be hard. Right. And so that that's what happens to a lot of old cuts. And then you get arguments about whether it's real or whether it's not real. Um, and there's a group of collectors, uh, you know, there's three of them on this call right now. But there's not that many people that are willing to hold on. I have a joke of give me your old and unpopular. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Because, you know, having a big mom room is a huge pain in the ass. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of cloning. It's a lot of trying to keep plants healthy and bug free. It's a lot of and then, you know, 98 percent of it isn't commercially viable. You're right. holding on to it for preservation. You're holding on to it for maybe some future breeding. You're holding on to it because most of the stuff that I hold, I hold it because I personally like it. That's the determining factor. I don't care what the public thinks, but most people, you know, it's they don't have the time, they don't have the space, they don't have the will, uh, or they just want to hold what's currently popular because that's what works for them. And they think, I'm oh, not- I can. This is this is how everything gets lost, right? I can always get it back from my buddy. He's got it. Mm-hmm. That's the I story wanted to chime in real quick yep. before we get way too far from the question of the California Kush. So oh. um, I was actually given <laughs> the seed. That's way far I, from it. Yeah, we well, I don't know where we're, we're way at. far. I, I apologize to whoever's question <laughs> it was. We got real far afield there for a minute. <laughs> that's what we do. Um, that's what you do when you're a fucking nerd. You nerd out. But, uh, yeah, no, I was given seeds by a guy that was on the forums named Walking Man. A lot of people that were around back in the day knew him. Um, I, I I sat on these seeds for a long time, and they were labeled Hayes Brothers California Kush. And the reason I sat on them is because I was like, what the fuck is it? California Hayes Brothers, they're fucking Hayes. You know? So I sat on them for a long time until I came across a High Times issue that I have. And I was going through it, and I see Hayes Brothers California Kush. And I'm like, what the? It, you know, and by this time, walking man's uh, or walking dude's dead, you know. So I'm trying to figure out, you know, what are in these things. So I did pop them. I did run them. And I would say the closest thing they look to is what I would associate having grown with Hindu Kush before. Um, they're stretchier. They're not like OG. The buds, the buds are dense. They're smaller, more golf ball, more spread out. It's stretchier. That is where the OG connection probably ends with the California Kush that I have grown. Now, are they the original ones from the Hayes brothers? Who knows? That's what they were labeled. But we did F-Gen those and let them out just in case. There you go. Oh, I want some. You, now you need to grow them so you can answer the question. Oh, Is damn. it? If not. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. So uh, we have a question that's pretty funny. Is uh, Caleb, why, when are you going to come back? And why did you make everyone wait so long to come on? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I'll answer that one for him. Is uh, uh, he, He's real busy. You know, uh, he's got a lot of stuff going on. Part of being really a prolific breeder is that that's a lot of work. Uh, it's a lot of work to make seeds. It's a lot of work to run rooms and have things come down and catalog and take the, what did he mention? The 20 million pictures that he has on file and yeah. answer and answer, be responsive probably on his website and deal with life and family stuff and eat. Oh, I haven't responded and, on the website for about three months. Apologies to everybody. <laughs> yeah, so on. it gets it gets difficult, especially if you're a, a one man show and you're and you're holding on and you're trying to do a lot of actual work and you're trying to have a life and friendships and families and different things like that. Uh, we're really appreciative that he gave us some time. Uh, he's like one of our really close friends, and uh, we chat like this all the time about things, um, you know. And uh, one of one of the one of the aspects that Matt and I are trying to do is that. Some of the most knowledgeable people are not great at self-promotion, you know, and there's a lot of people who are really good at self-promotion and not that much great at everything else. Uh, Caleb's kind of the reverse. Uh, He's really, really good at observation and breeding, and he has a long history of plants, and he's definitely a weed nerd and has a lot of knowledge in there. Um, But, you know, public speaking and making the time (laughs) for this kind of thing can be relatively hard. Uh, you know, so, um, you know, we're super appreciative that he came on and we're hoping that we'll be able to occasionally get him to pop back in. So I would say, you know, uh, be thankful he's here and let's hope that he liked it and, uh, we'll get some other subjects that interest them enough that he'll pop back on. Right, so we need to do some housekeeping uh, for Caleb's. Anybody who's interested in grabbing Caleb seeds, I've seen a lot of comments about that. You can find him on Speakeasy. You can find him on his website. He has a lot of other retailers. What's your website, Caleb? Uh, HumboldtCSI.com. There you go. So if you're interested, HumboldtCSI.com. I know Speakeasy's got a bunch of great stuff. We have our Patreon. You can join our Discord via Patreon. Um, we go in there, chat. Uh, I think we're doing movie night tonight where we fucking sit and watch movies together or TV shows, just dick around. But we also talk about cannabis stuff uh, extensively. I put a lot of my catalogs online and a lot of my uh, collection of, of historical stuff. So pretty much anybody can access the, the part of our Patreon. And I'm putting up nudes of Caleb in the same folder tonight. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> gosh. And then two things real quick, just because I see question, I see multiple questions about sure. it. Um, I gave my uh, my headband cut to Caleb to breed with. Um, he's already released a few lines off of it. Um, it's it's not very well spread out in the community yet. And so since he's so prolific at breeding uh, and he has such a customer base, um, my main goal was to get it out there. So he's done some ChemD. He's done some TK. Uh, there's, you know, there's potential more work that he's going to do with it as long as it ends up being worthwhile and he likes it. Um, and so that's that. And then someone asked him some questions about Mexico. Uh, you know, Mexico is super close. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the Mexican, uh, 
the Mexican weed is controlled a lot by cartels and there's a lot of violence associated with it. So it's not so much like the seventies anymore where you can kind of go down there and like hang out with regular farmers and maybe get seeds. It's a little bit more sketched than that. Uh, the violence has been quite extreme for the last 10 years. Um, and so while Mexico does have a large and diverse population of cannabis down there, and we hope that uh, some more of it comes our way, it's not as simple as it was decades ago to go down there, despite how close it is, and poke around and get access to it. Um, Do you think so, there's anything really worth um, getting in Mexico anymore, just with the influx of uh, you know European genetics? I hardly doubt it, man. Cartel would have been trying to increase production at some point. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not stupid. That's their main export other than meth. So, so that might, so that might be something just real quick that we'll end it on is that, uh, sadly one of the, you know, I, I talked about how it's very difficult for us to penetrate Afghanistan and Pakistan these days. That might be a benefit, um, because it's keeping their lines a bit more pure. Uh, some of the European lines have infested Jamaica, infested Africa. Mexico, uh, Morocco, mm-hmm. and some of these other regions. Even some Colombia. Companies, Colombia. Yeah, even Colombia. Um, Especially some Colombia. Of these, some of these regions have been, <laughs> you know, have, you know, some of these, you know, Morocco, especially because it's close to Europe. You know, uh, they used to have a lot of traditional cannabis. They have a lot of DNA. They have a lot of different European seed banks. Got super lemon haze now. Yeah, stuff like that <laughs> that they bring down there and breed. Um, so there's a lot of regions of origin that have been polluted for better or for worse uh, by these other things. And you're not going to go to Jamaica and find some 25 week lamb's bread no. anymore. You're not going to, it's not as easy to find stuff in Morocco. It's not as easy to find stuff in Mexico. Um, that's part of the issue is that the, you know, global trade has good and bad parts. And in the sixties and seventies, a lot of these regions were untouched and they just had what they had from their region. And now Mm -hmm. there's been a lot of cross contamination. Um, and so, yeah, you know, no one's going to Morocco looking for super lemon haze, but sadly that's what they might find. (laughs) <laughs> you know, or they might find some L.A. confidential or whatever over there, yeah, you know, um, and because those farmers, those those farmers just want to make money. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, uh, you know, we could answer a lot more questions and we could talk for hours, but I think <laughs> we're coming to a good place to close. Uh, thank you, everybody. Everybody that gives us a bit of time on their Friday, it's always appreciated. Absolutely. Um, you know, we're going to keep this thing flowing. We're going to try to keep topics of interest on breeding and different things like that going. So, yeah. And so, everyone, thank you very much. I hope you Thanks, found it Caleb. informative. Everybody have a great day. Thank you, Caleb, for joining us. And Thanks for uh, we'll talk me. to you all soon. Everybody have a wonderful afternoon. Cheers. 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 <laughs>